Hi, I'm Marika and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading flows in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindsets, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. And when you're ready to go further in mastering your finances, come and work with me on a one-to-one coaching. You'll grow your awareness, move on with your projects, and have an accountability buddy to track your progress. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Stephanie, the Director of Research at the Anthropocene Fixed Income Institute, an NGO advocating for climate transition within the fixed income markets. Having a computer engineering background, she studied as a quantitative analyst for an investment bank before moving to a front office structured products role and then to asset management. After seven years in London, she moved to Geneva last September. For someone who loved the mountains, rock climbing and the outdoor in general, that's a pretty good move. She now focuses on green finance, which is the subject of today's episode. So let's go. Just I'm pretty excited to participate to this podcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I've been following a bit what you've been doing uh, on your end. And I think it's really great, uh, the work that you're doing. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. Cool. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm really excited to speak to you about green finances because I love to meet with technical women in the finance industry, especially the ones who really try to find ways to better align our impact on the planet. So can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Stephanie Mjernik. I was born and grew up in a small town of North of France, but my family is actually Polish. Um, and they moved to France to work as coal miners, which I think is a bit ironic as I am now working in a climate advocacy. But I am now living in Switzerland, as you mentioned, and yeah, I am a big fan of uh, mountains and outdoor sports. So yeah, that's keeping me pretty busy outside of work. And just a fun fact about myself and my past, I play the accordion and I almost became a professional accordion player. Wow. <laughs> that is so random. I love it. <laughs> Do you still play now? Yeah, a little bit less now, but uh, yeah, I, I still play Oh, cool. If I knew before, I would have asked you to do something. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a bit with ecology, as you said, how have you been raised and now how do you deal with it? So the thing is, my parents, they, they're living a very green life, but that's not because they think themselves as ecologists, but it's mainly for economic reasons. Actually, like they don't travel much. They are super rare of their electricity consumption, they don't buy clothes. And I grew up eating vegetables from the garden. And I think when working in finance in big cities, you easily lose touch with with nature and and simple things of life. And for a long time, I I rejected the way my parents raised me. I thought it was a bit shameful somehow. 
But now I realize, oh, actually, they were right. They had the right way of living and I'm trying to align more with the way I have been raised as a child. Super interesting. Yeah. So then I guess the switch to your career into green finance occurred to you as kind of obvious. I think it was a transition that lasted for maybe two or three years. And I started hanging out with um, ESG people and realized, oh, well, that's cool. Like, actually, finance can have another purpose than making rich people richer, actually do something useful for the planet. I know it's a weird thing to say, but I, I thought a lot of the finance world was uh, pretty shallow. And I think somehow I, I wanted to give more meaning to what I was doing. So how did you make that happen? Because sometimes you have this idea, you want to get into ESG fields, but still it's another world. Yeah. How did you make it happen? So I think when you're passionate, uh, it's easier, first of all. And I think I tried to make myself more knowledgeable about it. I was reading everything I could, and I still am, because I think it's uh, always a learning curve. I passed my CFA ESG, I attended webinars, and I also tried to think, okay, how can I integrate environmental considerations in the work that I'm doing? And yeah, how can I do that and think about how this can impact my work? So my first move was to create a range of ESG structured products. And at that time, I was working with a, an old school brokerage firm and the sales team literally told me, we don't believe in it. No one is ever going to buy that. Well, they were wrong, obviously, but yeah, I realized that I should move to a company that had a, a, view, a better view on environmental issues and where I could develop myself better. Okay, so you still tried within your old environment, but then you quickly realized, yeah, you needed to be surrounded with people who truly believed in it. Yeah, I mean, I first joined an American asset management company that was trying to develop an ESG fund range. And I was working in product development, so I was launching ESG funds. Then at some point, I realized, okay, I want to make a move even further into the ESG space and, and join this NGO, which is called the Anthropocene Fixed Income Institute, to have a really uh, an impact without thinking, of, oh, yeah, I need to satisfy clients. <laughs> Yeah, super interesting as well <laughs> to have the both views, I guess. So can you tell us what green financing is and what exactly it englobes? So green financing is a very wide notion, but basically it's how companies and governments finance themselves whilst improving their environmental outcomes. And we need to be mindful here that the green transition is a real challenge for companies and countries. And they generally start with um, sustainable targets, like, for example, reducing their carbon emissions by 50% at some date in the future. And then they think about how they're going to do that. And it can be either through new production methods or launching new businesses. And for example, a utility company might want to, to shut down its coal power plants and invest in solar energy, but they need money to do that. And the next question is, how are they going to finance these new projects? And yeah, green finance is an answer here, and it can take many forms. The most well-known is um, green bonds, of course, which have been massively growing over the past couple of years. But now there are also other types of bonds, like blue bonds, for example, that are focused on ocean conservation. And on the banking front, we've also seen banks providing loans with interest rates that depend on sustainability targets. 
An example that I like is a, a Chilean food company called the AgroSuper that is really big in salmon farming. And they got a loan from Rabobank with their interest rate tied to reducing the use of antibiotics in the salmon farms. So yeah, I could talk about it for hours, but as a summary, green finance can take many, many shapes depending on the goals that companies are trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. But that's super well done. And I love the, the examples that you took and the fact that it can be green, but as well blue. And of course, as well, when we're talking about attracted funding here, so we're talking about fixed income and we did an amazing episode on fixed income with Tim. So if ever you want to refresh on this asset class, you can go and find the episode. But yeah, fixed income markets is a huge market and it's outsized equity markets, including as a source of fresh capital for fossil industries and stranded assets. So what are you trying to achieve? What's your contribution? What are you trying to push? So our goal is to influence investment decisions in the fixed income markets towards positive climate impact. So how to redirect capital flows from dirty to green, basically. And yes, the fixed income market is very big, but it's also very complex with funding chains that are not obvious unless you dig into it. So that's what we are doing and ensuring the markets where they need to act. So we are publishing papers and and raising our voices when we see something wrong. Advocacy is a a big part of what we do. And I I like to think of ourselves as as the guardian angels of the fixed income markets. Nice. But another part of what we're doing is engaging directly with financial institutions and helping them restructuring their portfolio to take into account green credentials. Um, So we've developed a number of portfolio management that we provide to investors. Okay, I see. And what kind of tools, without necessarily going into too much details, but like, how do you help them? So we have a very market-based approach. So for example, how to value this product, because it's still very unclear for a lot of investors how to value this product, and also how to account for the carbon emissions in the fixed income portfolios. That is also not really obvious, and you need some mathematical methodologies to do that. Mm-hmm. Or we've developed also a model on how to compare green bonds to, to standard bonds, explain the risk and return differences with standard bonds to financial investors. Okay, so it's really about knowledge and uh, explaining and helping guide basically the transition because even if sometimes you really want to change things, maybe you're going to face like issues or things you're not comfortable with. So that's where you're actually coming from. Yeah, and we in the Anthropocene Fixed Institute, we all ex-bankers. So we all used to work for financial institutions and super passionate about mathematics as well. So <laughs> I think it helps for developing those tools. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen one of the initiatives that you promote is the sustainability-linked bonds. So can you explain a bit what are they? So companies and governments can have really many ways to push forward their transitions and they need different types of instruments to finance themselves. Green bonds might not always be a good fit because they they might not have enough green projects to issue a a green bond. So we have seen new innovations for companies that still wanted to push forward the sustainability agenda. And the latest one is sustainability bonds. So they are basically like standard bonds, except that the interest rate depends on sustainability targets, like, for example, reducing carbon emissions. 
And one of the difference with green bonds is that green bonds money goes to specific green projects. But with sustainability linked bonds, um, issuers can do whatever they want with their money. It's just if they don't reach the sustainability targets, their financing costs will increase. Mm, so it's more like a global approach. Exactly. And it's a very flexible type of green instrument because it can adapt pretty easily to any strategy and any type of targets that companies may have. Now, the level of ambition has been uh, pretty poor in this market. Sometimes the targets are not ambitious enough or the penalties for not meeting them are not big enough. So we are advocating for more ambition in this market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's basically linked softly with the next subject I wanted to bring on, which is more the fact that sustainability or sustainable finance is really a hot topic. Everybody wants to move towards it. But do you think it's a real wish or more of an ideal? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a bit of both, really. I am on my side really positive uh, because I see that there is increasing awareness. And yes, we're not where we should be yet, but I see that even people who are very skeptical a couple of years ago now, like, you know, they're like, oh, I reduced my meat consumption. I don't take plane anymore, et cetera. So <laughs> I think as, as humans, we don't adapt instantly and it's going to take some time for societies to change. But I think it's going in the right direction. That's good. I'm really pleased to hear, especially from you, like coming from the inside. That's super <laughs> positive. And have you noticed some players a bit like shying away from companies or sectors that are polluting? So do you have any stories maybe to share of investors that are not anymore willing to invest? Or on the other side, polluting companies are really struggling to secure funding? Yes, absolutely. So a recent example is uh, ABP, which is a Dutch pension fund that has 15 billion of dollars in assets. So they're pretty sizable. And they have announced last October that they're going to stop investing in fossil fuels. And that's a, a massive move from such a big institution. In the US, the Harvard uh, Endowment Fund has also announced they are divesting from fossil fuels. I think it's also linked to a generational thing here where the younger generations are really pushing a lot for divesting from polluting industries. And I think it's a bit of a game theory here. If you believe that the world is going to get greener, the earlier you move away from fossil fuels and the more chances you're going to have of winning in the long run. When it comes to polluting companies struggling to find funding, yes, especially in the coal um, industry where, I mean, they, there are coal companies that are still trying to fund their activities and they can't shut down the coal plants and coal mines that, that easily. But, and yeah, we've seen funding costs for coal mining more than doubling over the past 10 years. I mean, fixed income markets can have a huge impact here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, great to hear in a way, because yeah, you definitely want to exit those. And the thing is, yesterday, BlackRock announced, as you've probably seen, the largest asset manager in the world. And they said they will vote against more climate resolution this year because their visa become too extreme or too prescriptive with the current situation we're facing with the war in Ukraine and the pandemic that is ending. So what do you think these kind of comments will impact the market? And um, 
Don't you think it's too easy to find justification? Yeah, I was pretty surprised because, I mean, BlackRock, they, they've been quite pushed in ESG. I mean, they're not perfect and they're still big investors in uh, some very polluting industries and companies. Each time I'm looking at who are the biggest holders of some fossil fuel bonds or coal bonds, I mean, some BlackRock always <laughs> arrives at the top of the list. So it's surely not a great signal for the market. I mean, you can have courageous decision or you can not have. I think when you have pressure from investors uh, not to lose money, especially in the uh, current context, it can be a bit hard to say, yeah, well, we're going to take the courageous decision. Yeah. And one of the other issues when you look about green finances is that there's a lack of international standards. So you can't really compare one country to another. And then it's really hard as an investor too to know exactly what's being done and the efforts. So do you know if there's anything being done on this matter? Well, actually, there are a lot of existing international standards. Like there are the ICMA principle, the Green Bond principle, the European regulator has a huge work stream of, of regulations for green bonds and green disclosure and is requiring now all financial institutions to disclose on their ESG strategy, whether they have, have one or not. I think green finance is very young when you think about the history of financial markets. So I think it's, it's normal that we're not there yet. And the regulation, the problem with the regulations is that they're still very high level. So it's very easy to uh, arbitrage them and, and markets like arbitraging. And the application is not always easy as it uh, depends a lot on, on data providers. But yeah, I think it's going in the right direction. And, and I think we're going to see a lot more of those regulations um, all over the world because the US are looking at it. China as well is doing a, a huge work stream around um, something called taxonomy. So and France actually is uh, amongst the most advanced regulations in the world because France has a decree that requires uh, big financial institutions to disclose on their climate-related risks, but also on their biodiversity-related risks, which is, um, I think, the only country that requires a level of disclosure. Okay, very interesting. I had no clue. That's, yeah, cool. And um, so let's talk about making a difference, making an impact. So the CEO and the founder of your company take you to an award following his initiation of a novel form of professional activism, which has really challenged financial firms to ensure that all of their financing supports their climate commitments. So I guess working for this kind of company, it's pretty attractive and you're proudly working for them. Yeah, I'm very proud to, to work uh, with Ilfan with the, the Anthropocene Fixed Income Institute. It's, uh, I think it's amazing that we're not a big NGO, but we still have, a, I think, a huge impact on the industry uh, at our level, I mean, compared to, to our size. And Ulf um, has an approach that I find very intellectually honest, and, and he's humble about it as well. Uh, too, too humble, I, <laughs> I want to say. So um, I think his award is very much deserved. and. Uh, uh, very proud to work with him. Nice. And can you tell us what else is cooking in the field? So do you have any inspiring stories to share or like any effort that have been made? Because we always, we often tend to concentrate on the negative and what's missing and what's lacking. And, and because you're pretty optimistic as well, <laughs> which is amazing. Can you give us a bit of hope and, and lots of good things to share? Yes, yeah, so there are two things I, I can share with you. So, so the first one is 
something we've done a, a couple of months ago. So, you know, when asset, asset managers and financial institutions, they make lists of banks they're dealing with and they, they have a list of, of banks they, they want to deal with. And we propose them a methodology to exclude banks that are most involved in the fossil fuels bond insurances. And there are institutions that told us that they've been applying our methodology and started saying to banks, we're not doing business with you anymore because you're too involved in fossil fuel deals. So for us, that's a big win because that sends a message to those banks like, oh, well, we're going to lose clients if we don't stop uh, working with fossil fuel deals. Mm-hmm. Another project that I'm working on and, and you might be interested in is nature-related. So we, we're trying to include more nature and biodiversity loss workstream in our project. So the approach that we've been taking on climate, how we can decline it for nature and biodiversity, because if climate is a wave, biodiversity is a tsunami. The planet is on the edge of the sixth mass extinction. So I think we really need to start doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you said earlier, you love the mountains and you've done actually an expedition in the Himalayas to ascend five summits between 4,700 meters and 5,700 meters of altitude. Can you tell us a bit more about what decided you, how did you prepare and, and how was it? Because I guess it's kind of unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. So I, I've been doing mountaineering for a couple of years now. I think uh, oh, time flies, about 10 years and I really like this feeling of being far from civilization and, and being in very remote places. I know some people struggle with it, but personally, that's where I reveal myself. So I prepared it by training in the Alps, running, climbing a lot, going to the gym a lot. And really, it was a lifetime experience. I won't hide you that it was also a dangerous one. I think I risked my life up there, uh, clearly. But yes, I am very grateful for this experience. And I came back as, a, as another person, really. I see. Yeah. Wow. And now as the environmentally wise, because you guess it can be unspoiled, but sometimes you see stories about expeditions where there's lots of trash. So did you see any? Or? The interesting thing is to so the places where we were, we were the first expedition to ever go there. No one had been climbing in this part of the world before, so... There was no trash from exp- other expeditions, but there was still trash. And, and that, that was kind of depressing because until like 4,000 meters, we could see plastic and bags and uh, in places where you would not expect it. So, uh, yeah, you think human footprint in such in environments that are supposed to be unspoiled. It's also I think it was also part of my, my wake up call of, uh, yeah, we should do something for the planet. Mm, yeah, because exactly, it's exactly why you don't want these kind of things to happen. So, yeah, it makes total sense. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for this discussion. I really enjoyed it. And as always, I've learned. So thanks for sharing your knowledge and, and your story. It's super interesting to see how green financing is progressing to hopefully one day become very mainstream and very soon. I love to hear about your initiatives and how you try to contribute to this change. So thanks so much and all the best. Thanks very much. It was it was great to participate to this podcast. Cool. Amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that's the end of this episode. I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. 
You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.